Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scope, Jared Mack on the show. Getting you ready on this Friday, this smoky Friday in Eugene. The east winds have brought in some smoke from fires around the area and it could impact things on, on Saturday too. So that's something to, to monitor. Uh, the game should still play out, but it is smoky in Eugene. The smokes have, have come back to Eugene. Uh, Oregon takes on Eastern Washington for its home opener, fellas. Week two of the season, 530 kick at Autzen. Pac-12 networks are on the call. These two teams have played just once in its series history. That was a, 61-42 victory by the Ducks on September 5th, 2015. The debut of Vernon Adams against his former team. Cooper Cup had that historic game in Austin Stadium, who was coached by current Oregon receivers coach Junior Adams. A lot of connections here between the two programs. Um, excited to, to get back into Austin for one. Um, excited to see how this team kind of rebounds from – Week one's 49-3 loss to, to Georgia. And we'll talk more about how do we define just a successful game for Oregon here later on the show. But I'm just excited to get back into Odson and just kind of see what this atmosphere is going to be like. Because last week, I think, took a huge whimper out of the sales of, of Oregon's fan base. Yeah. You felt that this week, didn't you? <laughs> you I mean, yeah. just read, reading the message board, seeing reactions on social media to any story that has anything to do with the program. Yeah, people aren't in very good moods. People have lost a lot of optimism, and I, I get why, obviously. I'm not I'm not saying they shouldn't feel that way. I understand. It's understandable when you get absolutely boat raced on national television. It doesn't sit well. Um, but as Sam Taimani said, I guess talky. Talky Taimani, no, no Sam. That's off of the official roster, so I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that. But as Talky said, as Casey Rogers said, as a couple of players said this week, you know, th- there there is a lot to prove. There is a lot to show that they still they think they're a much better team than what they put on the field last weekend. And I I tend to agree, or hopefully I agree. I, I don't know because we've seen so little. But I, I guess I would be really surprised if ultimately a forty nine to three loss to Georgia is going to be indicative of how the whole season plays out, and it's just going to be a disaster. So. Um, I, I don't anticipate that's the case. I think we'll see um, some pretty positive things. Eastern Washington is a very good FCS team. They're ranked 11th in the FCS uh, poll right now. This is a team that had the equivalent of the Heisman Trophy winner on their roster a year ago, the number one ranked uh, offense nationally at the FCS level. A year ago, they made the second round of the FCS playoffs. This is uh, a team with a lot of optimism. I should note that that player, the Walter Payton Award winner, Eric Barrier, is no longer with the team. He's been replaced by Gunnar Talkington. Um, just to Eastern Washington talk up front, because I wasn't on the podcast earlier this week. I've uh, been sick, which has been a real bummer. <laughs> Bra- braving it for this one, coming off the IR, I guess, if you will, to try to make this podcast worse. I've got like a couple teas and sort of things around me here to, to make sure I don't cough too much. But uh, but wanted to give a little like Eastern Washington insight because I don't could talk much about it on the podcast from what I've seen from you guys. But no. uh, this is this is a, this is a team that has offensively the ability to challenge Oregon a little bit, especially where Oregon um, isn't strong, which is in its secondary. So I, I think it'll be interesting because I kind of think about it like Oregon's strength is running the football, where we think that is the case right now. Well, Eastern Washington gave up like 300 yards to Tennessee State, yeah. and their and their and their yeah. leading rusher had 207 yards, I think. So. Be aware of the fact that Oregon should be able to run the football. But on the, the inverse is also true. We're talking to through for like 350 yards, five touchdowns against Tennessee State in its opener. That's an offense that averaged 44 pass attempts per game last year. The quarterback had 5,000 yards passing in a 13-game season last year. So very, very productive pass offense. They are going to throw the football. And, and Oregon had a really hard time doing 
much against Georgia at all in that regard last game. So um, I, I think, yes, I do think there's an op opportunity for Oregon to blow this game out. Yes, Oregon is more talented, but this is a pretty prideful Eastern Washington team, and I don't mm -hmm. expect them to just roll over. this. There are significantly worse FCS teams than this one. This is one of the better teams that you could schedule from the FCS level. I expect Oregon to win. We'll get to score predictions and all that, but um, you'd like to see Oregon win decisively. If this game is close in the second half, you'll be disappointed. At the same time, if this game is close in the second half, don't say I didn't kind of like, I don't want to say warn you, but provide you some information for why that could be the case because this is a team that's pretty prideful. Yeah, I mean, Eric, you highlighted it, but this is a good FCS squad. They really are. Um, you know, I, I watched most of the Eastern Washington and Tennessee State game. Uh, I think Tennessee State probably would have won if they didn't turn the ball over four times. I think that's a big issue. But, um, yeah, just some major takeaways is that this is a – you know, Eastern Washington is a program that's going to throw the ball, like Eric mentioned. Um, it's going to be a lot of dink and dunks. I don't think their offensive line is, is that great considering their – Second leading rusher who wasn't talking to their quarterback averaged like just over three yards a carry. Um, so I think Oregon's defensive line could have a, an impact there, but I don't think Eastern Washington is going to, you know, sport any plays that are going to allow uh, Oregon's defensive line to make an impact. I think they're going to go dink a dunk out to the perimeter. I think they'll probably take a hand out of George's book. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been saying for the past week on this podcast that, uh, a, you know, it was bad that Oregon's defense couldn't really handle the pass, but B, Georgia's athletes were just much better east to west than Oregon's athletes. I yep. think that there's a possibility that we really see if it was just Georgia's athletes that were making the issue or if it was actually like a schematic issue with Oregon's defense in terms of going east to west. Um, I think that'll be a, a major highlight of the game. But their defense, like Eric mentioned, you know, uh, Tennessee State ran for – almost 300 yards, 289 total with their leading rusher having over 200 running, 200 rushing yards. Uh, I think that's a, that's a place where Oregon's offensive line with their skill set and their, their uh, history at Oregon uh, with how many career games they've all played in now. I, I think that's a major positive for Oregon. Um, I think that there's, you know, Eastern Washington lost a lot on their, on, in their secondary and their linebackers from last season after a really great run. But uh, I think this will all come down to offensive execution and, once again, tackling. Um, if Oregon could tackle in the open field and not let Eastern Washington get all of these, you know, big chunk plays like they did against Tennessee State, I think that they can easily win this game. Um, but this is, yeah, like Eric was mentioned, this is not a pushover opponent. It's very formidable from the FCS level, ranked 11th. Uh, this will this should be a better game than I think people anticipate, but I also can see Oregon blowing them out because of just the – the pure, uh, like just out athletic, athleticize, I guess, uh, the Eastern Washington front. Um, I don't think that's the right word. And Eric is giving me the stink eye right now. But I think Oregon just has a much better roster in terms of athletes and ability to get along the perimeter. Um, but again, I'm, I'm, I am very interested to see if against Georgia it was a huge schematical error in Oregon's defense or it was the Georgia athletes were so much better than Oregon's that – they were able to attack the perimeter and go east to west on this defense. So I think that's going to be one of the main highlights I look for. Well, Jared, you're you're factually correct by calling Oregon the more talented roster because Eastern's not even in the uh, blue chip ratio team talent composite no, 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 ranking. Nor should they. Nor should they be. Um, they do so, have that sweet red field, though. So, but that won't matter in, in Saturday's game. They're not if, bringing it with them. Mm. No, they're not. Well, they brought the red sun that came up this morning, so maybe it's the the rain of of Eastern Washington's terror on Eugene starting early. Actually, I lied, Jared. They are actually oh. on the list. You oh, had really? to click. You had to click more teams twice to find mm. them. Um, they check in at 165 on the team talent composite rankings, smack in between Montana State and sacramento state and jared also the brought Hornets. up that they maybe they maybe should have lost to tennessee state um tennessee state has a significantly more talented roster according to our rankings here 139th for tennessee state the tigers um they had two former four-star players on their team nine three stars so that should just give you maybe an idea of where this team is at and because eric's right too this is 
even though they're not historically rated high as players for, at Eastern Washington, they, they're a proud program and they always do well. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how Oregon plays against this team and matches up from a schematic standpoint because talent-wise, Oregon is significantly better. Um, injury news going into camp, going into week two. Ryan Walk still it looks. I don't know if doubtful is the right word, but we didn't see him at practice the two, you know, the two days that we were there. And it is noteworthy. We should mention that players do arrive, do, do leave, you know, in the time that we're not there. So you know, maybe he was at practice for part of it while we weren't allowed into practice, but I don't want to say yes or no on that. Um, Marcus Harper did take some reps again with the ones then when we were in at practice Jackson Powers Johnson back on the football field, which is good for the Ducks. He's participating. Caleb Chapman, a receiver who did not suit up for uh, the game against Georgia. He was also back practicing, looking like he's training in the right direction. And then Jaden Everett, uh, a defensive player that we thought just wasn't here for, what, three weeks? Um, Turns out, like I mentioned – he just shows up when we're not there, and we finally got to see him in practice on Wednesday. We have we have photo evidence on DuckTerritory.com mm-hmm. uh, that Jaden Everett was at practice, so he's back. So looking like you know, aside from the Popo Amave injury and from the Ryan Walk uncertainty status, um, it's looking like from a health standpoint, at least Oregon's kind of trending in the right direction. I, yeah, I think they've been trending in the right direction for a long time um, yeah. after some of their offensive linemen were out for the first few practices. Uh, Dan did mention that he he expected Ryan Walk to go. I believe that was in his Monday press conference. Uh, yeah. And he was dinged up a bit. But, yeah, we didn't see him at practice on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, I, I would probably be more concerned about his ability to play if he wasn't at practice today, if he didn't do anything, or, or yesterday probably. But, again, we don't get to see those practices. So. Yeah. Um, if Harper gets to st- gets the start, and let's say they are very are, are just being precautious with Walk, I think that's fine. We saw Harper, um, who had a very nice interview on after Tuesday's practice, mentioned that he hasn't played a football a reason like a real football game or gotten into and making an impact in over a thousand days, which I thought was wild. Um, but I, I, we saw him against Georgia. Um, it's always a good thing with an offensive lineman if you don't know that they're doing a bad thing because it's pretty usually obvious. Um, so I think Harper is certainly somebody who's going to be fine if he has to start at left guard in, in place of Ryan Walk. Um, but like you mentioned, Jackson Powers Johnson is back. He traveled to Atlanta, didn't dress, um, was very active on the sideline in pregame and helping Alex Forsythe, the center. Uh, and then, yeah, Jaden Navarrete, we hadn't seen him in – three or four weeks. Um, apparently he's there now. So that's always a good sign that Oregon gets their guys <laughs> back. But uh, yeah, injury wise, like you said, Matt, other than Popo Amavai, who had a successful surgery as he announced on Twitter, Oregon uh, has been pretty healthy for the last two weeks, I'd say two or three weeks, um, looking to continue that uh, just going into this game. All right. Let's talk success against Eastern Washington because in these types of games, FCS versus Power 5 and a Power 5 team that started the year ranked inside the top 15, winning a game by seven is not really acceptable. Winning a game by three, you're ecstatic that you win. You never are upset that you won a football game, but there's more there that should have happened. Um I mean, go back to last year, even. And it's not even against an FCS foe. Different coach, I understand that. But a seven-point win against Fresno State week one by Oregon left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths before they went and played Ohio State. So I, the question becomes, how do you define success for Oregon beyond just winning this game? There's no, there's no sports line uh, right now. There's no line in this game from – Caesars, um, we, we haven't seen anything yet. Offshore, um, I'm going to break rules here. We've, we've seen offshore lines around 20, 21 points. So Oregon's about a three-score favorite um, in, in this game. 
from an offshore account. I don't even know if winning by 21 justifies a successful game for Oregon. Probably, but I don't know about you, but but for me, A, I want to see the defense get a stop. Force a punt, you know, in the first half. Force a punt in the first quarter. Um, I'd like to see takeaways. Win, win the takeover battle. That's something that you should be able to do in this type of a game. Um, I think they're going to give up a lot of yards, but what do you do when the field shrinks? It felt like when Oregon played Georgia, they could move the football, but then once they got into that 25, 30-yard line, things got really hard for them to move the football. They ran out of space. Do we see that with Oregon's defense against Eastern? Um, offensively, I mean, defensively real quick, tackling, what's the yards after catch? What's the yards after contact that we're going to see in this game? That's important. Um offensively for me, it's, it's efficiency, finish drives. That's how I'm going to define success. If they, if they're struggling to finish drives, having to settle for three points often, uh, that could be a concern for me moving forward. Even if they win this football game, I think this is a hard game to define success for Oregon. Ultimately winning heart is a good start. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the easiest one. And I don't, I don't think any of us are really skeptical of their ability to do that. Let's put it this way. If they lose this game, this season could get off the rails pretty oh, quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not, that's not really on my radar as a possible result, in part because I just think Oregon actually has a lot of good players on its team. And I'm putting trust into this coaching staff to make some adjustments and, and, and to push this team in practice this week, right? I mean, again, I was, I was away sick over here. I've got my elixirs and everything next to me because I've, I've just been kind of unable to go watch practice. But you kind of, I, I was really thought I was telling the way Dan spoke about. Wednesday's practice and just how disappointed he yeah. was in some of the things. So um, I like seeing that. It seems like they're pushing themselves, challenging themselves. It doesn't sound like one of the things that Dan said on Monday was um, our practices going up against Georgia were harder than the game. And I will also say, I, I think he's not saying they didn't challenge themselves in practice. He's also saying like straight up, like we, we couldn't simulate what Georgia freaking did. I mean, like we just don't have the, we don't have the dudes, don't have the dogs to do that. And very few teams in the country do. And that's, Part of why they were having a Dante Thornton or Noah Whittington, like key parts of their offense, playing scout team roles leading into that game, is to try their best to get it. And obviously, it wasn't enough. But in terms of, I guess, just measuring success going into this one, yeah, I want to see marked improvements on both sides of the ball in areas that were problematic last week. Um, no turnovers on offense or limiting turnovers. And if the turnovers do happen, they should be effort turnovers, not you know mental error turnovers. And what I mean by that is a guy battling for the pylon and the ball gets poked out and goes to the end zone. I'll live with that. If it's Bo Nix trying to throw the ball into deep coverage, you wouldn't live with that, Jared? You're, you're, no, you're, I'm, I'm shaking my head because that's the worst rule in college football. It is. It goes is. through and then it's a touchback. I hate that. I hate it. Uh, Oregon fans have hated that since Cameron Colvin against Cal in 2006. Seven, maybe I don't know. I'm not sure on the year, but that that cost them a game that they very likely should have won, um, and it's cost many teams games. But like yes. I, I would I would take that sort of a turnover opposed to you throw it into a tight window, kind of needlessly, like we saw happen a couple of times in the opener by Bo Nix. Right. Um, I, I think Bo Nix seeing improved play there just offensively is is really important. Fans have already turned on him. Fans have already yeah. deemed him a failure. They want to see Ty Thompson after one game against the best team in the country. I understand that inclination. I understand fans these days turn on players really, really quickly. And I get it at quarterback. It's the most evident. I, I think going back and having watched it, I think he played pretty well for the most part in that game and just made a couple of really bad reads. I, I don't know if there was a whole lot else he could have done the rest of the game. If I'm being completely honest with you, having rewatched it, um, the pass, the two, the two interceptions, I, I don't agree with. I don't think they were good decisions. The second one in particular was really bad. Mm -hmm. I, I think he played okay, and I want to see him turn in a really strong showing. I think that's really important for team morale. I think that's really important for the fan base to be able to get behind their quarterback and support him. Because the last thing you want is a repeat of what happened last year against Cal at Odson, where you're booing your quarterback and asking for the backup to come in. That's the last thing yeah. you want. So I, I think it's really important Bo has a strong game, shows some things, doesn't turn the ball over, makes good decisions, the offense moves, scores some points. Like Matt says, big part finishing drives. And then defensively, getting stops is obviously like the ultimate goal. But 
I think for me, a big part is just tackling in space better and, and having your defensive backs perform better. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't awful in coverage all the time against Georgia. The problem was when it was awful, it cost you points and it cost you big plays. And Eastern Washington is going to throw the ball even more frequently than Georgia. And so you know that going in. You got to be prepared for that. Um, I'll be very curious to see how well Oregon performs in this area. Because to me, if you get beat up here again, it's going to become the blueprint. If an FCS yep. team can do what the defending national champions did, teams are going to lock in on that and say, Oregon just isn't going to be able to win in this facet of the game all year. So those are, those are areas that I look at. Um, I think Bo Nix in particular is one. I, I just He needs to perform better. He needs the fan base to kind of go, okay, I don't expect the entire opinion to change because that Georgia loss is hard to get out of your brain, and it is an FCS opponent. People will downgrade it, but he needs to perform at least B, B-plus level here for, for the fans to kind of get off his back a little bit and give him some room to, to cook because I just think it could get really dangerous if you go into BYU and Washington State conference play and, and it's like, you got to make a change. Why aren't they making a change? This guy sucks. Yeah, I think overall, in a very broad sense, you, know, you look at what Dan Lanning mentioned as the three biggest issues with teams at the beginning of the season and missed tackles, penalties, and you know turnovers. I think Oregon was one for three because they had fewer penalties than Georgia did. But you know turnovers and missed tackles were massive against Georgia. So those are the, just the overall general themes that I'm looking at in terms of can Bo Nix or any of the running backs, can they you know, control the ball? And can they make open field tackles, which they proved against Georgia that that's that was not happening. Um, you know, Sam Taimani mentioned how often they've been tackling, and he just said that's a lot. Um, and I don't, <laughs> and I don't, don't believe him because I think that's exactly what they should be doing. Uh, they they need to be working on their tackling and everything like that. Um, uh, more specifically, like Eric mentioned, Bonix needs to have a good game. Uh, in terms of being deemed successful. And it doesn't necessarily mean throwing for 8 million yards. It just means, you know, throwing accurately, making good reads, having a high completion percentage, hitting guys, leading leading players open, not leading them into defenders, just making good passes like we've seen him do for years. Um, in terms of, like, a, a more offense, just getting open as receivers, not a lot of separation against Georgia, and mostly that's because of how good Georgia's defensive backs are and their linebackers are in coverage. So I think they'll have more success there. Uh, defensively, getting some somewhat of a pass rush whenever there can be. Um, I know Dan is a big simulated pressures guy. We talked about that a lot on this podcast before. But they need something. Um, even when Stetson Bennett went back to drop, there were very few plays where Oregon made him uncomfortable. Uh, there were plays where he was uncomfortable, but it it mm -hmm. just wasn't it wasn't a lot. And also that speaks to the value and the consistency and the talent level of Georgia's offensive line as well. But I think when you go against Eastern Washington or Iwu, as Cooper Cup called it on Thursday Night Football, which I thought was funny, uh, you you need to produce a pass rush, whether that's with your four down linemen or whether it's simulated pressures with your linebackers or a nickel, whatever the case may be. Um, and yeah, the defensive back room just has to show up. And that means either putting themselves into coverage and doing it well, or making open field tackles from the safeties or the cornerbacks. Um, I guess really most of my defensive issues come from tackling. And I think that was the biggest issue against Georgia as we've all, uh, you know, if you watch the game live or if you rewatched it, you know, that those missed tackles in the open field or along the sideline keep coming up. And like Eric said, those go from, three to five yard gain, which you can live with if you make the first or second tackle to a 15 to 30 yard gain if you miss your second and third tackles. So uh, it's quick to the ball. Like Dan said, a lot of hats around the helmet or a lot of hats around the ball, just gang tackling, making sure that there's multiple people going at the same direction. Um, I think those are successful ways of winning this game. Uh, like, like Eric mentioned, I don't have the thought of Oregon losing in my head just because I think they're just so much more talented um, and offensively, I think they can still move the ball. I thought they moved the ball well against Georgia, but like Matt mentioned, once they get into the red zone area where things tighten up, can they? do they have a set of plays? Do they have 10 plays that they can go to and score from the five-yard line? Or do they have 10 plays that they're confident and can get, us, can get Oregon into the end zone? Um, I think that's going to be a big thing, but 
frankly, you know, we'll go to my score predictions eventually, but I don't know how often they're going to be in the red zone. I think they're they're going to be scoring from other places on the field. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's dive into what Jared just said. Those predictions for this football game coming up. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Um, some game picks, all right? We will go offensive team pick, offensive player pick, defensive team pick, defensive player pick, and then we'll end up with the score predictions here um offensive team pick i i think oregon's bread and butter in this game is going to be running the football uh eastern had a really hard time stopping it and against tennessee state i think it's the strength of oregon's offense right now seeing what they did against georgia um and so behind a strong running game oregon's going to go over 500 yards of total offense in this one it's going to be fueled by the run game i i i wanted to say 300 but that's pretty lofty from a rushing standpoint so i'm not going to pick a a a running number but overall just 500 yards total offense and the run game has a really big performance in that by the way i didn't see a listener volunteer to, to score our predictions from last week which is just devastating I mean, I know. what are you doing with your time? If you're listening to the podcast, <laughs> come on, get with it. Um, I don't think we hit very much last week to begin with, so maybe we just no. don't worry about it. You said it was lofty, Matt, but I'm going with it. 300 yards on the ground. Um, you know, it's funny because I thought that was a pretty lofty prediction. And then there are a couple people in the comment section on my Scopaldamas story, which, by the way, um, if you're a subscriber at Duck Territory and you read Scopaldamas, those predictions are what I use for the show. Um I had a couple comments say that's actually not that lofty at all because Eastern Washington just gave up 290 yards last week to Tennessee State, and Tennessee State's an FCS team, and Oregon's you know, a Power 5 team, pretty talented roster. Um, I thought it was pretty bold. I'm sticking with it as being pretty bold. I think it qualifies. Um, Oregon runs for more than 300 yards on the ground. I think has a lot of success. The offensive line, I mean, like, I posted this in my Scopel Domus, and, and Matt actually came up with the stat. This is the best yards per carry a rush offense has had, had gained against Georgia since Kentucky in 2019. So Oregon's offense on the ground, like kind of did some work. And I went back and looked at it from a total yards rushed and gained perspective against Georgia. I know Oregon didn't have a lot of success here, but the 140 yards Oregon gained on the ground, that's the fourth most in three years against Georgia. Um, I mean, if you go back, like, this is actually a pretty impressive. I mean, and, and you also think, shoot, the game script flipped so fast where they were hardly trying to establish the run in the second half. They, they, I mean, they were down 30 points, 40 points. They were throwing it. I think Oregon showed, and its offensive line showed, it can it can run the ball a little bit. And you kind of go like, 
not that the game would ever have been very different at all from a result. Oregon was going to get blasted regardless. But if, if I will say this, if they, if they found a way to keep being able to rely on the run game, I'm curious to see how many yards they could have gained against that Georgia defense. Cause it could have been maybe 200 yards, 180, 190 yards. I mean, I think there were yards to be had there. Um, that was kind of proven all the way throughout the game. So, um, a little bit of a digression there just to kind of provide some context for it. You know, obviously Oregon has had some success running against the best and Eastern Washington didn't really prove much to me in terms of how it defended the run last game. So give me 300 yards on the ground for the Ducks. I think that's a very reasonable prediction. I mean, if you just go and look through the, the scorebook from you know Tennessee State's game against Eastern Washington, 289 yards on the ground, I, I can imagine Oregon getting 11 more. And there are a bunch of explosive plays from Tennessee State, too, just on the ground as well. But uh, my prediction, I'm with Matt. I got over 500 yards of offense. Um, I originally put down near 600, but I, I didn't really know what the difference was between over and near, so I just put over. Um, I, I, again, I, I think it's it, the 300 yards for, for rushing, I think, is certainly in the question. Um, I think – Nick's has a good day. I think that Oregon's receivers are actually going to gain separation. Um, plays are going to work, whether it's, it's just a screen or something like that. Oregon's talent level is going to be just otherworldly compared to Eastern Washington. Um, and I think Nick's has a good day. I think he's got clear windows to throw the ball through. Uh, I think he's got receivers down the field. And I think this is a game where you could see a couple guys catch touchdowns. Um, I think some combination is going to get near – over 500 yards. I think 600 yards could be in contention considering that Tennessee State put up, hold on, I have it on this page, uh, like 574 yards of offense. I think that Oregon can come close. Mind you, Eastern Washington was a, I just looked this up, a 22 and a half favorite over uh, Tennessee State last week. And they put, uh, other than their four turnovers, that was an offensive clinic that they put on the Eagles. Jared, why don't you pick 575 for the total yardage then? Why don't you just put it? I'm, I'll I'm, take uh, I'll take I'll set the line at 573 and a half, and I'll take the over. How about that? Sure. <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure what to make of Eastern because we know the name, we know the history. There's a lot of respect given to it, but like Jared just went through, Tennessee just East. I mean, Tennessee State just kind of like mopped them, and they just had turnovers, which, hey, credit to Eastern to forcing them. But I don't know. that, that This game, part of me says this game could could be right around that 21-point that spread. Part of me also thinks, as Jerry just pointed out, like Oregon could just say, screw it, run the football, and just yeah. demolish them. And I mean, if they go – go ahead, man. Oh, I was just going to say, it, it could just get really, really ugly. Are you, yeah, are you guys – are you familiar with who their head coach is? No. He's a very famous former NFL player. Eddie George. Oh, big Ed. For Tennessee State? Yeah. Tennessee State's Love head it. coach is Eddie George. Sorry, I was just doing a little uh, Tennessee State research. I like that. So Thank you. you that, the run game being good makes a little bit of sense. Makes a lot yeah. of sense. I was just going to say, if Oregon goes like full-on Mario Cristobal here and just runs the ball – 50 times it could get it could get interesting because they eastern washington let up some big plays to georgia or tennessee state on the ground i keep getting confused eastern tennessee georgia i'm all over the place right now all over the place all right individual offensive player um raise your hand if on the bingo card you had sean dollars leading oregon in all-purpose yards in week one against georgia um i certainly did not no. But I will in, in week two against Eastern Washington. I think dollars is going to go over 100 yards all purpose. And I think normally you'd kind of scoff at that number. But with how Oregon is operating with its running backs, playing all five guys, everyone getting basically equal share of carries or, or snaps at running back, um, that's going to limit some of this all-purpose type stuff. So I'm going to go dollars all-purpose over 100, which will lead the team uh, in, in that category. I think he's going to be active in the run game, and he's also going to be active uh, in the passing game as well. We're not going to do our stock stuff until maybe after BYU, but did any of us buy Sean Dollar stock? Ooh, 
I don't, I don't remember. I, I know. I, I know. I didn't. Up, Jared, you, Jared, you didn't buy any running back stock. I remember that being a thing. No, I may have. Let me. I, I have my I, numbers somewhere. I had no Whittington stock, and I think I initially th- looked at some Sean Dollar stock and changed it to more Terrence. Oh Burgess man, stock. I'm so upset. I had <laughs> Bucky, Cardwell, Whittington, and James. And oh, you did everybody but him. <laughs> <laughs> Here we um, go. But I, what I was gonna say is, it might that might have been the stock to buy because it was super buy low, and if he ends up kind of solidifying this job, which none of us really expected, we kind of all thought of him as maybe third, maybe fourth. And again, I think it's too it's hard to know at this point. I mean, he he might. I I don't think Matt's prediction is is crazy at all. I, I think he's certainly capable of that. But like that's kind of a sneaky one because we were all on the Whittington Irving kind of, or I was on the Whittington bandwagon hype train. You guys were on the Irving hype train. I like Bucky quite a bit, as we'll get to my prediction in a moment, but. Um, but yeah, dollars is certainly somebody whose stock is up. Feels like it's kind of pointed in that direction right now from the running back room. I did a running back prediction as well because I three I had three hundred yards rushing, so somebody's got to gain a lot of yards. And I'm going I'm going Bucky Irving, the first one hundred yard rusher for Oregon this season. Um, I think it's going to be by committee. I also am expecting maybe a big play here or there, and I think Irving's got a little big play potential. We didn't get to see much of it in the opener. Um, some fans were already making the decision that he shouldn't be playing very much, which I thought was interesting on the message board of like, he didn't show enough. Fans like, overreacting. Shocking. It's Never. stunning. I should, I should stop even, I guess, relaying some of the message board fodder stuff, but I think Irving's going to have a big day and I expect a hundred yards on the ground. Oregon's going to, I think run pretty successfully. I think there'll be multiple guys that get over 50. Um, but I think Irving will, will run for 100 yards. I have no idea, by the way, who will start. Irving started the opener. Dollars probably showed enough in the previous game to maybe get a starting nod, but I have no idea what this week of practice looked like. I have no idea. So we'll see on Saturday. I think that's going to be kind of a week by week who's a starter unless somebody just comes out and absolutely takes ownership of it. But I've got Irving 100 yards on the ground. Yeah, I got another running back one too, unsurprisingly here. Uh, I have Byron Cardwell leading the team in rushing but not leading the team in the amount of carries. Um, I think I looked at this, Eric, like you did at the big play potential. And I think Cardwell has the best big play potential out of anybody on the roster in terms of running backs. Um, You looked at how he did last week, four yard or four carries for 28 yards is seven an average. He had the longest run of the day with 16 yards. Uh, Sean dollars did lead the way with 33 yards on four carries. So his average was higher, but Byron Cardwell's longer was, was bigger. So I'm going with Cardwell in this instance. I think that he has a big play explosiveness factor that he showed last season against Colorado and at times during um, the where, where Verdell went down and he stepped in. Um, Eric, you mentioned like you don't know who's going to start. Uh, you had Irving start the first game. Cardwell, I think we all expected for most of the offseason, was going to be the starter until all the transfers came. Could be a little chip on the shoulder here. You know, I'm a big mm-hmm, Byron yeah. Cardwell guy. I th- thought he was going to start no matter what this season, but I-, I got a little chip on the shoulder for Cardwell here, and I think Oregon's offense goes run heavy at least to start, and I think he has a couple of explosive plays that put him in the driver's seat for leading the team and rushing on Saturday. Cardwell was the fourth running back to enter against. He was. Yeah. You talk about that chip on the shoulder. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I kind of I like, I like it. All right, team defense here. This is kind of a good and a bad scenario for Oregon. Okay. Um, Eastern isn't going to go over 400 yards of total offense in this game. They're going to be somewhere in that 300s. Uh, their run game is going to get bottled up. It, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if if they run for 50 yards, if even that, in this football game. But the bad here is I think Eastern's going to throw for 300. It's going to take a lot of throws to get there, but I, I think the Eagles are going to have some success throwing the football, and it's going to lead to Oregon's secondary giving up 300 yards or more. And quite honestly, post game, it, it it might be one of the bigger topics within the fan base within the program of what's wrong with Oregon's secondary, and is it this big of a concern through two weeks? I want positive here. Um... Oregon didn't force a turnover against Georgia. Um, honestly, I can't think of a pass where they really had an opportunity to make one. There was I, I don't think there was, and I can't think of a run play where – well, there was one where the ball did come out, and, and I think Bridges recovered it, but it was he was clearly down um, in, the, in the first half at some point. But the point is, 
I think they're going to be really aggressive in trying to force turnovers. That was a Jared brought it up. That was a talking point going into week one is is limiting your turnovers, but also forcing some. They they lost that mm-hmm. two to zero in the opener. I think they're going to win this one. And I've got three forced turnovers against Eastern Washington. Um, I mentioned it earlier. Eric Barrier was the like equivalent of the Heisman Trophy winner at the FCS level. He won the Walter Payton Award at Eastern. He was their quarterback last year. He's gone. Gunnar Talkington is a senior. He's been around. This is his fifth year, but this is his first time starting, and this is going to be by far the best opponent he's played. Oh, 100%. I think he's going to have some difficulty here in terms of interpreting windows that look like they might have been opening against Tennessee State might close. I think Oregon secondary is a huge question mark, but athletically, Oregon has players out there that are just bigger, faster, stronger than what you're going to see against Tennessee State and, frankly, what you see in practice. So I expect there to be a, a stake or two there and I expect him to throw a couple of interceptions. And I expect Oregon just to be really aggressive in trying to go after them and, and kind of creating game-changing plays. So give me three or more turnovers from an Oregon defense that badly needs to get stops but also badly needs to make plays. Yeah, the same same outlook. Uh, this, is a, this is a defense that needs to make plays in the secondary – this is a offense that will provide you opportunities to make plays in the secondary. Um, I like, I like just the the, the skill set of, of turnover ability in the secondary for Oregon, whether it's Kristen Gonzalez or Bennett Williams, Jamal Hill. They've all had big moments in, in turnovers and things like that, interceptions. So I have uh, Oregon defense forcing four turnovers. So uh, again, right on line with Eric there. Um, I think it's just going to be more opportunities. And like Eric said, this is going to be – I just looked up Eastern Washington's schedule for the rest of the year. This will be the best team that Eastern Washington faces. Um, I think it's going to you know, bring a lot of surprise to Talkington at the time. I think there's there might not be too many opportunities to have turnovers just because I, I think they're going to go probably east to west a lot with like screen passes and end arounds, things like that. But I think when they go down the field um, – you know, against Tennessee State, there's a lot of busted coverage and that allowed them to have, you know, longer touchdown passes. But I think Oregon is going to be able to make up ground better than Tennessee State. They just have the better athletes. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to make plays for Oregon's defense in the secondary. Uh, and I also think that Oregon's pass rush is going to get there at points. And I think it's going to potentially force, you know, fumbles, things like that. Uh, and so I got four turnovers for Oregon's defense heading into Saturday. You guys both brought this up and I wanted to ask this question, especially after Eric brought up the turnovers in the secondary. Um, Casey Rogers mentioned the importance for Oregon's defensive line to get their hands up mm-hmm. and try and deflect some of these balls. How many of these interceptions that happen or these turnovers that happen in your eyes, let's set the over under here, tipped passes by Oregon that leads to an interception at half a point. Do you think that happens or is it purely the DBs making good plays? You make a good point though in terms of Talkington's five foot ten. He is not a very tall guy. And that's short king. He's a short, short quarterback. Oregon, I would guess, won't face I mean Stetson Bennett, also similar height. Oregon had no he that posed no problems. That didn't help Oregon at all. <laughs> but I don't think under Talkington is Stetson Bennett. So I could see that. I'll, I'll, I'll take the over on that. I'll say maybe one interception off a deflection. Um, I, I'll also say like maybe it's a deflection at the second level too, like maybe a linebacker. Maybe mm-hmm. Noah Sewell jumps in and, and pops the ball in the air and they pick it that way. But I, I actually think that's a, that's, a, that's a good point to bring up because we haven't talked about what is a very clear weakness in, in, in theory for Talkington, which is 5'10". By the way, he's 5'10", 215 pounds. So short and very stout. That's a thick guy. Um, he could run too. He's a, he's a good runner. He's a good athlete. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see how that translates against Oregon at the second level where hopefully they're able to keep up with them. But um, I think they should be able to. But again, they struggled in that area last game. I, you just don't see a lot of 5'10", 215-pound quarterbacks, like period, at this level. That's just a no. kind of an, an anomaly. Uh, life is always too short to bet the under, so I'll take the over here of uh, at least one yeah, I mean, I just uh, – I could see that being a, a huge thing because Georgia didn't – you know, Oregon's defensive line didn't necessarily get the opportunities to put their hands up and try to deflect the ball because a lot of it were short, quick, out routes, whatever the case may be. Um, I think, uh, you know, watched, I watched a bunch of the tape against for Eastern Washington. They do like to throw the ball down the field. And, again, like Eric mentioned, 5'10 quarterback, a uh, little bit of the, you know, the Russell Wilson build where it can get swatted down at the line of scrimmage. Um, I think that's a total 
like there's a big chance of that happening. Uh, interceptions are pretty hard because usually those those tip passes go straight down or someone just drops the ball, and that's why they're playing defense for the most part. But uh, I'll, I'll take the over on this one. I, I like the opportunity here. Yeah, just felt like that was something that we maybe needed to bring up as a possible game point here. All right, uh, individual defensive pick. Um, I felt like for Oregon, Jamal Hill led the defense with 11 total tackles, nine being unassisted. And obviously I was on the big Justin Flo, Noah Sewell hype train. I thought Georgia would try and establish the run game and go at Oregon's interior, and they didn't. They went away from him. Um, and so I'm, I'm flipping my lead tackle, and I'm going to go back to Jamal Hill. I think for the second week in a row, he leads the team in total tackles. I don't know if it's going to be 11 or even 10, but I just think with Eastern's desire to to play on the perimeter, where Hill fits in within that defense, things are going to be going up for him in terms of opportunities to make tackles. Nine unassisted is a lot against Georgia, and I think he's going to he's going to lead the team in total tackles, and he's going to have a, a lot of those be unassisted as well in one-on-one situations. We had very similar thought processes here, and I think Hill's a, a, a perfectly fine choice. I went Bennett Williams to lead the team in tackles and to um, uh, create a new career high, which is previously eight, so I'm saying nine or more. I actually didn't say lead the team. I just said nine or more career, nine, nine or more tackles, but I think that probably will be close, if not leading the team. Um, I just think, you know, I thought it was notable after a really tough loss who they chose to have – address the media, which was Alex Forsyth and Bo Nix on offense. And you, your quarterback should always address the media. That's just, that's un, you know, that's, that should always be the case. But Forsyth being the center, being a, very much a captain, a leader of the offense. And then Bennett Williams being very much a leader of the defense. I thought that kind of, they handpicked people to go out there and, and take the tough questions and kind of fall on the sword, if you will. And so I, I think clearly Dan, Tosh, this defense sees Bennett as one of the leaders. And I think he is going to go out and lead by example in this game. And he's going to play a really, really good game. He might be a player who has one of those turnovers or forces a couple. Um, last year, he was really effective in that regard in terms of, I think mm-hmm. he had three interceptions through four games before he, he broke his foot, sadly. Um, I just look at him and say, he knows this defense needs a bit of, a, I guess, a, you know, to be rejuvenated, to kind of have some new energy. I think he's going to lead that. I think he's going to play really, really well. Play with his, you know, with his hair on fire, if you will, um, and have five tackle or sorry, nine or more tackles for a new career high. I didn't pick anybody to be a leader. I just thought that Christian Gonzalez is going to show out. He's going to showcase why he's had all this preseason hype and has been, you know, mocked in the first round of the 2023 mock drafts. Um, I do have him getting one interception. I think he'll be part of one of the four turnovers that I predicted. Um, I have the over at six and a half tackles. I just think that Eastern Washington is going to, again, attack the perimeter and try to go east to west on Oregon because Georgia did so. I just don't think they're going to be nearly as successful. Um, so I think Christian Gonzalez shows out. I think that Eastern Washington eventually will try to start throwing the ball down the field. And with his coverage skills and the lack of an elite talent at wide receiver that Eastern Washington has, I think he's going to show out and just have a really good game and just again showcase why there's been a lot of hype and buzz around him during the offseason. I like the Gonzalez pick. Um, I didn't think he necessarily played bad against Georgia, so I, I didn't quite understand the frustration with fans with him. Um, but seeing him have a big game would probably go a long way as well, cooling the fan base. It, there's just a lot of overreactions from this guy sucks, don't play him ever again. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was, there was, there was, there was a lot of that. It was pretty, I get, I get it. Cause fans are overreacting. I mean, yeah. You lose 49 teams, to three and it's not good, but come on. Yeah. Come on. All right. Let's go to the score predictions here. Um, I have Oregon winning this game. I, I think Eastern is going to be a, a significant drop off in team talent than what Oregon faced against Georgia. Um, they are a veteran team. They bring back 31 players with starting experience. 258 combined starts is on the Eastern Washington roster. Um, that's about 20 starts per position. Um, that, that's quite a bit. Um, so th- they are a veteran team here. But 
there's just a difference in programs here. Even though they've got the long history of winning big games, um, I, I just think Oregon is going to dominate in the trenches on both sides of the football, whether it's running the ball well against Eastern's defense or the defensive line kind of manhandling Eastern's offense. And I don't know if they're necessarily going to get a ton of sacks, but I think the ball is going to have to come out quicker than they they would like, um, which could prevent 20-yard plays from happening, and instead it's a five-yard play, a bunch of dink and dunks. Um, I, I just think Oregon will get the stops. Eastern will be able to move the ball at times, will score at times. Um, but midway through that third quarter, the game will kind of be over. Um, the fourth quarter will, will kind of transcend into – Oregon's backups playing while Eastern's working on getting their, you know, their first unit, some good reps and and maybe punching in a late touchdown or adding a couple late field goals. So I have Oregon 51 Eastern Washington, 24 um, plenty to work on for Oregon, but plenty to be excited about and seeing marked improvement. I like the prediction. Ours are close. I just, as an aside, I love the term dinks and dunks because if you say a bunch of dinks and dunks, it sounds like you're just being mean about like to the players. That's Washington, just a bunch of dinks and dunks. It, it sounds like a, it's a, it sounds like a really like childish elementary insult, even though we all know that that's referring to short passing game. But I don't know. I just was laughing in my head about it, and I thought I'd share. Um, sorry, I'm delirious. I've been taking sleep medication for like four days and like trying my best to not be sick so I can cover this game on Saturday. We'll see. Um, I, I have I have kind of similar thoughts here, and I do want to clear one thing up. Um, I don't consider these bold, I consider these bold predictions to be mutually exclusive for my game prediction. Like I'm predicting these things happen. I, I'm not saying this is the game script that gets to this final score because I saw a couple of folks on the message board be like, "Wait, if Oregon forces three turnovers and runs for 300 yards, and it's like a it's like a four score game, that sounds surprising because if it's if all those things happen, Oregon's going to win by like 50 points. Um, I, I, I think those are outcomes that could happen. I'm predicting these are bold predictions. In terms of my game prediction, I think the game is probably a little closer than some fans would like, but I think it's also reasonable given what we just saw last week. So I have Oregon winning 45 to 21. Um, I, I think it's going to be a rather competitive game at half. I think Oregon will be ahead. I think Eastern Washington will move the ball and score points in a way that Oregon fans won't love in the first half. I could see it being like 28 to 14, something like that, 31, 14. Um, but I think ultimately Oregon has the better athletes, has the better team, has a lot to prove. It's at home. The fans badly, badly need a win here. Um, I kind of outlined a little bit of it. I do think there's an opportunity for Oregon to run the ball really effectively. Um, I think this run game, is going to be good throughout the season. I think the offensive line proved itself pretty well against what is some really elite athletes for Georgia last week. It's going to be a step down. I know Eastern Washington returns all its key defensive players. They've got a bunch of all big sky caliber players on their team. But I'm not just I'm not trying to diminish who they've got. I'm just saying compared to Georgia, it's not quite the same level. And I think Oregon's offensive line is going to be really motivated to set the tempo up front. And I think they'll run it effectively, score some points. I think it'll be a fairly high-scoring game, though, because I do think Eastern will move it, like I said before. So Oregon wins 45-21. They avoid what would be just an absolute disaster of a start for the Dan Lanning era. If they go 0-2, it really opens the floodgates for fans to just – could get ugly on duck territory. Could Good the duck, Lord. The, the duck Please, pond, Dan. The duck no. pond could be <laughs> an absolutely uh, terrible place to be for a very long time if they lose this game. So um, ducks, please – Please don't. For don't. our for our sake. Yeah, for for just for our for her for to avoid a toxic work environment, please. That's all we ask. Um, yeah, I think we're all in line here. I got Oregon winning 48-21. Um, I think Oregon's just gonna be in control the entire game. I think Eastern Washington will have their moments. Um, I think they might, you know, they might even score in the first drive and everybody's gonna think that the sky is falling, which you know, assuming on, on the winds and how this sh- this should look in Eugene tomorrow, you know, the sky might look like it's falling for a second. But yeah, I think Oregon's just going to ground and pound. I don't think it's going to be very fair on the on the offensive front for Oregon and their rushing attack. Um, I think they're just going to have an easy day there. I think Bo Nix has a good performance. Um, I think he's in control of the offense, makes a couple touchdown passes here and there. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Oregon 
certainly is the better team. Uh, I think they showcase that early. I think they score on their first drive with a great little, uh, like a great uh, listed set of plays going right off a game script. Um, I, I think that they just control it the entire way. Uh, I think that Eastern Washington probably, you know, makes this, I don't know, I thought about saying 48, 28, um, but I thought that they should cover the illegal spread or not the spread that we use. Um, so I, I am winning 48, 21, but I could see Eastern Washington pu- punching in another touchdown at the end of the game when Oregon hopefully has their reserves in, which leads me to my next point. Uh, I think we get a Ty Thompson sighting in, in not Eugene, Oregon on Saturday. So you can sound the alarms when he goes into the game, but uh, I think Ty gets probably most of the fourth quarter an opportunity to uh, either prove fans right or, you know, prove the coaching staff correct. So we'll see what happens on that end. Could that opens up a question here? What if what happens if because this happened in Clemson on Monday night? Uh, DJ Ungalele led the win, but then the backup came in and had like went like four of six, but it looked really, really good. Cade Klubnik. Yeah. And I mean Marcelo even on Brandon Marcelo, 24-7 Sports, has even said, like, the change is coming. It's just when now, not if. Do do we even – I mean, what would it take for both Bo Nix and Ty Thompson to have that even be brought up? Like, and it be a legitimate discussion? Because, look, Bo Nix could come out and he could go, like, 18 of 25 – for 300 yards and two touchdowns and no interceptions. And Ty Thompson could come out and go six for six for 120 yards and two touchdowns. And I'm still saying Bo Nix is without a doubt the starting quarterback for Oregon. Like there's not even a discussion there. But if what's the stroke, what's the level of inconsistency from Bo that opens this up if this happens and we see Ty? Well, for starters, it, you need Ty to do better. You need Ty to perform against a non-FCS opponent. Yeah. Right? Just like Klubnik faced Georgia Tech, who's not a fantastic Power 5 program. But that's – there's – you know, we talked about the roster talent at Eastern Washington in the 160s. I don't have the composite in front of me. Georgia Tech's probably in the 40 to 60 range, somewhere in there, right? Somewhere in that range, I would imagine. Doing it against a team like that – more impressive than going out against Eastern Washington and, and scoring some like right. touchdowns in my opinion. So I think you'd need to see Ty do it against better competition um, for starters. And whether that, I don't know when he's going to get an opportunity. If he does, it would probably be on the heels of a really impressive game by Bo Nix, which means there's no way they're making the change. Or it would come on the heels of a game where they pull Bo, Bo Nix late just to give Ty an opportunity, which case would maybe give him an op- you know, which would maybe give Ty that opportunity. So it doesn't happen this week, I think. Regardless, unless Bo is just bad, he has to be just so really, bad. really poor. Like, yeah. like he he's got to start right. He has to start kind of like um, I'm blanking on the name for the Boise State quarterback against Oregon State. Oh. Hank Meyer. There you go. Um, Bachmeyer, Hank Bachmeyer. Bachmeyer, yeah. That, that's what it I was. I like Hank Meyer, though. That's a good Hank, nickname. <laughs> Hank Meyer is good. Uh, well, his first name is Hank. Hank Bachmeyer. Hank Bachmeyer. Yeah, yeah you, you just forgot. Good name, one, regardless. One syllable. Uh, yes. Uh, unless you've got like three turnovers in the first three drives, and it's just like, holy cow, this sucks. Like, I just don't see Bo getting pulled against Eastern Washington. And I, I guess they would just – it would have to be just absolute worst case. And it's like they're, da- yeah. they're down 21 nothing, and two of them are pick sixes, and Bo is just absolutely brutal. I just don't – I think he's better than that. So I, I'd be yes. very stunned. Right. He is. I, I think if a quarterback change happens, frankly, it's going to happen in a similar manner to when Herbert replaced Prukop, which means you're into the season a little bit. Matt kind of laid this out on – I think it was our mailbag where it's like maybe you've lost three games already. You know, right. yeah. A lot of your goals are kind of slipping away. You got the younger guy. You know the season's not going to play out. You just go with the you go with the younger guy, and you see. And maybe you give him a shot in a game you're losing. To like hypothetically, maybe you're down. You've already lost two games or three games, and you're down to UCLA in the fourth quarter or in the third quarter, and you just go. 
Bo's playing bad. This is not good. We're open to making a change. I just don't see it happening for at least four or five games unless this gets so untenable where they've lost to Eastern, they've lost to BYU, they lose. You know, I mean, like it, ha- it would have to be an absolute shit show for a lack of a better word. So um, I, I, I think I think the leash for Bo is longer than what some fans would like it to be, but I think that's deserved because I, I genuinely, if you objectively go back and watch the game against Georgia couple really bad decisions. I'm not saying he was perfect. not saying all the throws were great. I didn't think he got helped out very much at all by his receivers. Uh, you know, Bucky Irving dropped a couple or had a couple of least hit his hands he could have caught. And mm-hmm. for the most part, Oregon receivers weren't running open. I mean, the throw to Chase Cota was, was terrible where he just kind of let him out to dry. And that ball needs to yeah. be thrown to the sideline, not to the middle of the field. So I'm not going to excuse that. But there's a lot there where it's like, I don't know. I think fans are really overreacting to how he performed. The throw to Cota was – it's such an obvious mistake because that was like the th- one of three passes where Nick's actually had a window to throw the ball to. Yeah, true. So, and, and again, give a bunch of credit to Georgia's defense because they're absolute animals. Um, but to to kind of draw a comparison to the to the Clemson situation, you know, DJ Uyunglele he comes out and replaces Trevor Lawrence against BC, Boston College, and Notre Dame does extremely well. Everybody looks at him like the second coming of Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson, whoever they had, and. Last season, he you know he leads the ACC in in turnovers in both interception and fumbles, and doesn't have a really good grasp at the offense. Um, they lose their offensive coordinator; they get a new one, uh, who's been with the program. And so the the goal was that if if the Clemson offensive line was better for DJ, then he would be better. And I don't know if you guys watched this Georgia Tech game as this loud car is going by my apartment right now. I don't know if you've watched the Georgia Tech and Clemson game, but it was disaster city for the first two yeah. quarters and then Clemson finally pulled away and you know DJ had already had a fumble he didn't really showcase that he had a grasp with the offense and the other thing is that <clears throat> excuse me Kate Klubnik had already also got rave remarks from the team was a five-star yeah. freshman coming in it was not a guarantee that he would be good if he was put into a game, but everybody was talking very fondly of him and saying that this guy was the next dude at Clemson. And for as much as fans kind of forget this, we haven't heard any of that from Oregon's camp. And Matt, I think you brought it up maybe on the mailbag podcast as well, where you, you they players were, were asked about Dakota Prukop and they would say, yeah, you know, whatever, he's good they would just rave about Justin Herbert. We haven't seen that or heard that from Ty Thompson like Clemson has from Cade yep. Klubnik as their backup quarterback. So, and I'm like, Eric, it would take an absolute disaster of a performance for of Bo Nix against maybe Eastern Washington, maybe BYU, maybe Washington, whoever it is um, for Ty to really get into the game. And you got to give Bo some opportunity to showcase himself here because, again, if you look at who – is going to play this Georgia team all season long, unless you're Bryce Young or in a, like a potential Heisman winner. I don't think you're going to be doing too well. And unless, unless there's some extreme mishap on Georgia's defense during the season, which I don't expect. I mean, it's, that is a tough competition to go against in your first game for your new team. So again, we're going to pump the brakes on the Ty Thompson starting again I do think he'll come into the game only because Knicks has put the team ahead by you know four scores and that there's going to be an opportunity for him to just go out there and throw some footballs to people. That's exactly why I wanted to bring up that question, just because if we do see Ty like Jared thinks, there's going to be some unjustified comments that he needs to be the starter, no matter what he really does in this game. And I just don't think it's worth – It's not. you can't judge this – performance whether you know we need the best case scenario from ty and the absolute worst case scenario from Bo to even have this conversation and so preface your your expectations with that in mind as this this game plays out and if we even do see ty in this football game which i hope we do i hope we see all three quarterbacks because that means this game is no longer in doubt go ahead i I just had one thing sorry i know one more thing baby the last thing um i i just wanted to point out that uh, last year against Stony Brook in the second half, Ty Thompson, six for nine, 82 yards, two touchdowns. That's an FCS opponent. In games against FBS opponents, Pac-12 opponents, he was one for six with five yards and in an interception. So my point is, let's not make too much out of what he does this weekend against 
an FCS opponent in Eastern Washington. If he comes out and is awesome, that's great, great news. So that means he looks like he's looks like you know he looks the part. That's what you'd like him to do in this instance. But let's not go. Oh, he needs to start because he hasn't proven against a Power Five opponent that he can. I mean, he was one for six for five yards and in an interception last year in two in two showings against Arizona and Colorado. So um, small sample size, but you need to see him do it against a Pac-12 opponent before you go. Wow, he was great against Eastern Washington. He needs to start. I just think that sort of context also needs to be in place before. Um, you know, just going into the game. Because I think fans will, if he does come in and he does play really well, there will be a contingent that go, oh, he's got to start. Start him yep. against BYU. Mm -hmm. Not so fast. Not so fast, to quote a legend who's kind of losing his uh, his role on college so game fast. day. Yeah. <laughs> one, one more thing, just to, to finish it off. And it's not that we don't want Ty to perform well. I would love to see Ty to get out there on the field and go 11 for 16 with 150 right. yards and three touchdowns. That would be great because it might actually spark something where he he just figures it out and we all know ty thompson's you know god-given talent with his arm and his ability to run um it's just all the same thing just like a lot of younger quarterbacks is just reading defenses if something clicks in this game and it begins to click in practice it, it might begin to click in the in the minds of dan lanning and kenny dillingham so there so i hope we see ty on the field um i just like eric said you just got to temper your expectations for against going an FCS opponent compared to an FBS team and Eastern Washington. And if he went against BYU or even just, you know, Wazoo or, or anybody else in the Pac-12, there's just such a vast difference in talent disparity. So, uh, I mean, again, I'm, I'm predicting you see him, but only because Bo Nix and the offense, the first team offense has put them in such a good position that they are able to just throw anybody out there and say, let's see what you got, kid. All right. One more thing. Let's go. We're wrapping up the show. Ah, boo. Uh, <laughs> boo. Hiss. All right. That's going to do it for us here on this prediction podcast for Ots and Audibles and DuckTerritory.com. Next time you guys will hear us, it will be coming from Watson Stadium uh, or maybe from our homes after the game from Watson Stadium uh, as Oregon takes on Eastern Washington Saturday night. Go to DuckTerritory.com for more coverage throughout Friday, Saturday, and into Sunday leading up to, during, and after Oregon versus Eastern Washington. 5.30 kick. See you there. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.